Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 209. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have a returning guest, Sharnell Bush. Hey there, Kip. It's always nice to see you. Nice to chat. And the feeling is mutual, even for some more sensitive topics like today's, because, as the title would reference, we're going to be talking about something I've heard often, but I suspect not nearly as often as you, When someone, in my mind a white person, says something like, well, that wasn't okay to say, my black friend said that it's perfectly fine if I said X, Y, or Z. And as a note to the audience, this example in my mind that I wanted to discuss with you, Charnel, is very specific and may not refer to all races, but if we're being honest, there are many connections one could make that may not be precisely described in this conversation, and I hope you'll forgive me for specific language that is meant to be representative of any number of social and societal misunderstandings or miscommunications. And before we get into some of our notes in preparation for this, I am interested to know how frequently you've heard this or similar phrases used in your company or to address you directly. I'm going to be pretty audacious and say at least once a week I come into a contact with someone who uses that. I wouldn't call it as, a, as an excuse for a behavior or for what they said, but as an explanation at some times. And it depends on where you are. A lot of times I tend to be the only or one of few black people in certain spaces. And now working in higher education, there are very few people of color in higher education. So I find myself in a lot of spaces having the same conversation all the time, even as recently as like three days ago. And then I'm curious to know, when this phrase is used, is it used in a self-confident tone, somewhat oblivious? Is it defensive, aware of the potential implications? How does the interaction go from there? Well, I think over the course of my life, the way I've approached or reacted to that situation has changed dramatically. There was a time where I was younger and I didn't have the vocabulary or the maturity to respond appropriately, especially in certain places you can't act certain ways, say certain things. Typically, I call out the behavior, call out like that's not okay to say. And when it's, uh, you know, my black friend uh, said I could say it, I have to explain to them like, well, who is that black friend? Like, I don't think a lot of them understand why their black friends give them permission, quote unquote, to say those things. And a lot of the times the kind of timeline of it is the call out. My black friend says I can say it. Okay, so why do you want to say it? Why is that something that's important to you? Do you realize what the history of this is? Because a lot of times, um, we've spoken about it off mic, is that words mean nothing without context. Words mean things. So like when you say things, and no matter what your intent is, the impact is always really what's most important. You can intend to be joking, but me, who I you know playfully describe myself as too woke for my own good, is going to react immediately to this because I feel the need to protect myself. And in spaces where you're allowed to kind of let things go off the cuff and you don't, no one either stands up and protects you, you feel the need to protect yourself, you don't feel like this is meant for you, especially like places like your work. If someone is saying racially insensitive things over and over again and your managers, your coworkers aren't correcting them or, you know, kind of standing in for you, you feel like you're not welcome there. And so a lot of the times it goes to that. Sometimes it ends up being a walk around the building and explaining the history of things. But I also think a lot of the times that shouldn't fall on me, you know, as a black person to educate you on the words that you're already using. You should know the meanings of words and phrases and behaviors and hand signals and things like that before you do them as a decent human being. 
And I want to caution myself out loud, in addition to audience members who might be susceptible to falling into a similar trap and say that I really appreciate your willingness as an individual to speak with me on the topic. But of course, you aren't representative of everyone. And so there's this interesting meta layer to our conversation that I was reminded of in everything you're saying, and also that I really respect your willingness to walk with someone around the building or discuss it with them. Obviously, I don't have the experiences you do, but I think I can at least begin to imagine how exhausting it would be not only to hear things over and over again, but if you're the only person of color, in your case, the only black person in a building, in a company or organization, feeling a certain pressure to explain. And pressure is something I want to get to with this phrase, because if you as this hypothetical white person are hanging out with your black friend, perhaps they are your only black friend, which is relevant to where I'm going, and you're talking to them about racial issues, etc., there is a certain social pressure that I think a lot of us feel not to rock the boat and to agree to make sure fights don't happen to keep people in generally good spirits. Let's say your black friend is hanging out with you and five of your white friends, and this topic comes up. Don't you think they might feel a bit pressured to go along with whatever you're saying so as not to feel alienated or in opposition to the friendship that you and your group share? And if you now extrapolate on what they said, potentially in a moment of pressure, you presume that they were speaking honestly, and you're not taking the social context of that moment into account, which for me is an issue of consent, that sometimes people say things that they've been coerced into saying, and the background of their words carries a great deal of emotional weight that many of us might prefer to ignore because it reminds us that we put them in that position. No, I'd agree. I think a lot of the times white folks, I'm going to affectionately call them that, it just rolls off the tongue a little bit better, don't understand the pressure of being a solitary or single black person in those kind of spaces where there is the issue of survival. You show up and if you're not used to people addressing the fact that you are black, but you obviously know they acknowledge it, usually it has to come to a point where you're reminded. And it usually comes up when you're making jokes about race. So a fried chicken joke, for instance, or a joke about genitalia, or more specifically, like in recent news, like racially charged incidents where you as a black person are seen as this monolith, like you are the person who needs to speak for everyone. A lot because I feel that people of color, sexual and like sexual and gender minorities as well, don't have the luxury or the privilege of being individuals or being seen as individuals. We have to speak for ourselves or represent all of our people in those moments. And especially as a black person in those spaces, you don't want to be the person who becomes more alienated because you already feel isolated. Even if your white friends don't reference your blackness all the time, you know they know it and you know you know it. And so when you have to have those conversations of like using the N-word, you know, and it's like, well, why can't I really want to say it because it's in my favorite rap song. Do you really think this person who feels this intense sense of isolation from their own people, people who look like them or have like experiences are really going to tell you no, because then they isolate themselves from the only friend group they know. So a lot of people, I don't think, have the emotional intelligence. And again, you mentioned it before, like it's a consent thing where you have to really reach back. And I implore people to see color in that people have different experiences and have different histories. And so, of course, if you say, yeah, feel free to use the N word. And then in my experiences, I've seen people use like the caveat, like, but don't say it around other black people, because in the same sense we have in this conversation that like, I don't represent all black people and everyone else is going to respond to it differently. 
So I agree with you a lot is that a lot of it is the pressure, the alienation, the tokenization of it all and feeling the need to kind of represent, but also be one of the quote unquote good ones because they probably don't know a lot of black people or just you. So you really want to represent the friendliest, less threatening side of who we are. I'm glad you brought us to rap songs and, of course, references to the N-word, which have produced countless news stories and similar discussions to this. And while this topic as a whole, the idea of being given permission to venture into a space or to say or do certain things is absolutely problematic, I do suspect that at times it comes from a well-intentioned place, which is what I think makes this even thornier than it already was as a topic. And what I mean by that is that I sense, being a white person myself, it comes from a place of wanting to communicate in a pre-approved way, of feeling not only like you were given permission, but permission to engage with someone who is different than you. It obviously ignores the context and does not do so in a way I consider respectful, but the idealist in me sees a desire to communicate properly, and while I don't think most, if any of us, are doing a great job of communicating these days, especially with people different than us, I do hope that I'm at least correct that within human beings the desire to communicate persists across the millennia. Because if at least that is true, I have hope that we will gradually understand nuance in one another, and frankly as a white person who has a lot to learn, that I will come to, as hopefully will others, understand the complex and frankly tragic world that has been created often by white people in power that deserves understanding and frankly honest, often uncomfortable consideration. I think the want and the intent on communicating properly is really important. I think because of the nuance of the black community and there's we can lump in people of color like Asian, Latin American people, Hispanic people. But as far as I would say me and my house, as far as me and my blackness is concerned, you shouldn't look to get into every conversation and approach every black person the same way. My black friend, the one or two black friends I know, I communicate with this way. So Charnel is going to respond in kind to this way of communication. I think that intent is important, but in the end is obsolete. Like at this point, it's really how people are going to feel by your words, how you've approached them, how you've introduced yourself. And as far as the music side of everything goes, and as far as like hearing it, we hear it all the time. I've been at concerts very recently and even in the past where you know a certain word is coming up and you're surrounded by white people. And you know the N-word's coming up, and it's a popular song, and everyone's really riding high. You know, it's this very energetic setting, and you've got to kind of bite your tongue because there's nothing you can do when 10,000 people are shouting a word at you. At that point, there's a lot of conversations that come with it. I mentioned earlier is the why. Why do you want to say the word? Because you know the word's only meant one thing coming from white people. It's never been a term of endearment coming from white people. And why do you feel that because you purchased a ticket or purchased a song that you've somehow purchased the history and the feelings and the pain behind that word? Why do you think that absolves you of any culpability? Why do you think that erases anything that's happened? So there's a lot of conversations to have in it. And I think that there's not just one conversation that can be had to really start to build those bridges. But bridges do need to be built at both ends, especially when you go across large bodies of water at this point, experiences and race. So at that point, I would suggest that if you're going to have these conversations, have more conversations with people of color about this, with black people about this. Don't speak to the ones that are comfortable with you and are going to be more concerned with your comfort and not their own well-being. So if like me and you have this conversation, you are my friend, but because I know you appreciate me and you appreciate my experiences, I'm going to be very blunt with you. 
as opposed to if it's someone who doesn't come from where I come from and lives, you know, in a space where no one looks like them, they're not going to be as honest. And just as a little quip, I guess, I would say that your black friends really aren't your friends if they don't speak to you about issues of race. If they've never talked to you what it's like to be black or expressed any discomfort in being black in certain places you've been or any strange feelings about going to certain places, then they don't trust you enough to share that side of them and express that side. So maybe you should do some work in your friendship to really open that door for them so you, they know that you can be trusted and that you value them and that you're willing to protect and preserve them the same way you're willing to do your own comfort and sensibilities. And to touch further on friendship, I feel that if you're using the phrase, my black friend said, or any other equivalent, it's a strong implication that that person is not only a token to you, but might be your only friend who's a member of a group that you don't fully understand. And while everyone's going to have different priorities in friendship, and indeed there may be systematic barriers to even meeting people who belong to different communities than you do, I think there are fewer and fewer excuses to not go out and learn about people. The internet, though not everyone has access, and that often falls along racial or economic lines, there are plenty of resources to hear not only accounts of what people are saying, but contemporary stories. Go to YouTube and you'll find any number of people reflecting on what their experiences are like, and it's not limited to race. And while I wouldn't consider YouTubers to be your friends any more than a black rapper who has said a word that you're now interested in using, I do think the stories of other people are incredibly important for developing empathy and perhaps learning terminology, coming to appreciate, like you said earlier, Charnel, history and context. Which brings me to a point that, frankly, I'm stumped on. And you may not have the answer, I don't mean to put you in that position of pressure, but I am curious to know, in racial or social circumstances, maybe of particular sensitivity, where there don't appear to be words or terms, or let's say, as an uninformed person, you have the curiosity to ask something, but worry that you legitimately don't have the language to communicate it in a diplomatic, non-offensive way, what do you think a proper approach might be there, and how might one go about it? Again, I'll reiterate, I do not expect you to speak monolithically, and I would remind the audience of the same. Well, you're right. I don't have all the answers. Unfortunately for black people, I wish I did. But um, I would suggest going to the internet first, even though the internet can be a dangerous, scary place for a lot of people. If you go in with no information whatsoever and you're looking to be informed, you can come out being malinformed, and that's going to be an issue. But I would say, like you said, go to YouTube, listen to people tell their stories, different types of people, different types, different shades of black people even, and you'll hear the nuances in their stories. I would also say if you have the opportunity to be in front of someone and ask those questions, the way you shape those sentences will mean everything to them. So instead of saying, I don't want to be offensive or I'm not racist, but avoid those terms at all costs, but say, I've never had the opportunity to learn this. Can you tell me what this means? Hey, I've never had a chance to experience this or I've never heard those words before. Am I okay to say them? Because at some point we're going to acknowledge the fact that you are interested in learning and are interested in protecting us and not looking to emotionally injure anybody further. And I think that will start the conversations. And then that's where you learn more because sometimes there aren't words for things. And I heard it somewhere. I'm not entirely sure where, but it was just a funny quote where someone said all words are made up. And that's why context is important. So you having conversations and having the option and the opportunity to hear other narratives will definitely provide that context for you and put you in a place to have more meaningful and safe and dignified conversations with black people. 
And as we bring the conversation to a close, are there any points you want to return to or elaborate on, perhaps things we haven't gotten to, that you feel warrant discussion? So one of the things I would want listeners to take away or hear before we end this episode really is being open to the discomfort that's going to come with some of these conversations. Race is a very loaded topic and it's a very visceral, emotionally charged one that not everyone is going to be ready to hear what black people have to say about their experiences with racism because it really caused them to self-reflect. And I think when you have open, safe discussions about race, that it requires everyone involved to kind of be, for lack of a better term, naked when you have these conversations. And I think that black people have been naked throughout this whole conversation. They've bared all feelings, soul, pain, physical scars, mental scars. And I think that a lot of times in these conversations, white people don't want to get as quote unquote naked as everyone else because it forces them to acknowledge their place in history, what they haven't done to protect their black friends or people who aren't like them, what their grandparents haven't done or did do or what their parents did do or didn't do to teach them about these things. One of my favorite authors, Chimamanda Adichie, has an awesome quote that I keep it everywhere. She says that the greatest detriment to society is the danger of a single story. If you listen to your one black friend and you hear them who are trying to preserve your comfort more than their own well-being, they're going to tell you things that make you feel good. And you're going to walk away from that conversation ill-equipped to have other ones. So I would say, again, be ready to be naked. Be ready to have those conversations. Understand that hurt feelings don't equate oppression. Hurt feelings don't equate inequality. And be ready to embrace the people that you've hurt, even if it was unintentional, with your nice words or you trying to form connections. And just be ready to be a better person. I especially appreciate that remark, and I hope listeners will take you at your word and follow that counsel. The only thing I would emphasize for listeners' consideration are the intentions of this hypothetical, though very real, white person in these conversations, because I would hope very earnestly that on some level they care about communication and they care about learning, but I'm not above the possibility that I'm wrong and that this person on some level cares more about ownership, about being right, about being the only voice in a conversation, any number of dark possibilities that may explain that behavior in ways that, frankly, are uncomfortable for me to consider because of what it says about race and the way our society operates. And though I use the word consider, I hope any number of listeners will reach out to us and share your stories and experiences. As ever, I remain very interested in hearing what you have to say, what you've been through, what you're currently thinking about, and Charnel, not only for sharing your thoughts and being emotionally naked on this topic, but for your experiences and your insights from them. I'm especially grateful. Well, no, thank you for having me, Kip. I think it's really important to have conversations like these. And I like the fact that this is a very safe space to have it. You've provided that for me. And I think that a lot of people should follow this example being very open and very honest with what you are and who you are and what your experiences have been and also the lens you have. So thank you for that. Well, you're very welcome. And I'd be remiss before we close if I didn't encourage listeners to listen to what you do in honesty and podcasting on your show, What About Your Friends, which is, in ways that I am not and have not yet been, incredibly honest and insightful about a number of really great topics. So we will include links to that in this episode. And again, I encourage you to check out What About Your Friends. But as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Race is obviously a very complex issue, but one that does affect all of us in our lives. And it's worthy of further consideration. So if you have any thoughts, opinions, or feedback of any kind, we'd really love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. 
You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show as well as supporting us on Patreon, where in exchange for your support, you'll receive exclusive perks like bonus episodes. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.